Happy Mother's Day to you. We welcome you. I'm Michael. I'm lead pastor here at Victory. We're thrilled that you've come to be with us. Um, if you're a first-time guest, we are grateful that you've worshipped, chosen to worship with us here at Victory on Mother's Day. A lot of great churches in West Memphis and Marion, and we welcome you today in this place. Uh, great presence of the Lord in our worship and in the cry of our hearts that He is the cornerstone for Him to be the the center of our lives. And I do believe He's opened the heavens this morning for us to be able to. Get a glimpse of His glory. Amen. If you would stand with me please one more time. We're in the third part of the series called Built on the book of Ephesians. The title of the message today is called Built According to God's Purpose or Built According to Purpose, God's Family. The text is found in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20. And if you would find a screen, we want to read it heartily together. Here we go. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you for the, the grounding that you provide for us, the foundation on which the church stands. Jesus, it's because of your finished work, what you've already done. It's not any work that we do that we could ever earn or deserve the unsearchable riches of Christ that you've poured out upon us. Thank you today as we gather. We, we, we are so grateful for our moms or those who are enjoying their eternal reward and have gone on to glory. We thank you for them. I thank you for my mom. Thank you for Mary Smith of her life. Thank you for that she's still praying for me right now. Thank you, God, for the moms that are standing in this place today, in this service. We honor them. We pray your blessing and strength to be upon them. Lord, for how they have tirelessly laid down their lives for us sacrificed for us, literally limited their own desires and many times their own needs in order to be able to give us the things that we needed and wanted. Thank you for moms. Your moms that you've given us, God, show a unique characteristic of your love. Uh, when others leave, mom doesn't. Mom still loves us. And God, your love is like that. We ask you today that as we uh, come together in this place that you open our ears to hear, give us eyes to see. Lord, we don't want to just go through the motions and, and do our religious calisthenics in this place. God, we ask you to make it count, make it real, be the center of this, be the center of our lives. Oh, God, we cry out to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated together in the presence of the Lord. Today's message, Built According to Purpose, is all about the family of God. Two chapters previously We've talked about in, in Ephesians chapter 1, the spiritual possessions that are ours in Christ. Chapter 2, we talked about the spiritual position that is ours in Christ. So possessions was chapter 1, position is chapter 2. And these riches, these unsearchable, unfathomable riches in Christ are all about the grace of God. And so this morning, that's really going to be kind of the central concept that is seems to pervade all of these words that Paul writes in this amazing six-chapter book that a number of theologians literally call the high point of the New Testament. It's, uh, one, one called it the Swiss Alps of the New Covenant. And so it's, it's like the mountaintop uh, peak, the, 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 the huge vista, the panoramic view that you have when you're in a high place and you can see things that otherwise you would never be able to see from the valley floor. And so Ephesians, Paul sort of takes us to the mountaintops and shows us 
the amazing plan and perspective of God. Uh, the, this morning as we begin, I have one thing that I want you to grasp, and we're going to say this a couple of times, and then I'll weave it in and throughout the rest of the content of the message this morning. Guys, I'm still waiting on a timer to get up there. If you would, please help me with that. I want to be mindful of my time this morning because it's Mother's Day. Say this with me, please. This is the one thing. Everybody say grace. Say it with me. Grace, God's kindness toward undeserving sinners is unmerited favor and operational power. Let's do it again. Grace, God's timing, God's kindness toward undeserving sinners is unmerited favor and operational power. All right, I'm showing 19 minutes. That, that, I don't, where's that coming from? You know I don't preach 19 minutes. Help me out, guys. What's happening back there? Uh, here we go. Grace is God's kindness toward undeserving sinners. It's his unmerited favor and his operational power. As we begin this morning in Ephesians chapter 3, the apostle starts with these words, For this reason. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Uh, we're having problems in the media booth today, so if you have a Bible, or, or maybe you're following along with me on the uh, <coughs> Uversion website. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. Um, the chapter divisions that we find in the books of the Bible, you have to realize that those aren't inspired that, that God didn't dictate by notes to the apostles and the prophets of God who wrote and gave us the Holy Scriptures. All Scripture given, that's God-breathed, given by inspiration of God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished, perfect for every good work, equipped for every good work. God didn't say, okay, that's the end of chapter 2, Paul. Rest your hand. Uh, uh, start chapter 3 in a little bit. Okay, This was actually one long letter that Paul wrote. It was a cyclical letter meant to be read throughout the various churches in Asia Minor. Uh, first of all, initially, to the saints at Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus, as it opens in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, the, the, the chapter divisions are helpful for us to be able to find. It gives us sort of a street and an address. It's kind of the theological GPS system where we can go and find a location where the Bible gives us some instructions or a principle that we need to understand. Okay? Uh, but many times these chapter divisions can be a hindrance because we have the tendency to think that because there is a new chapter heading that there is a new subject that's being started, that a new topic has been broached, okay? But that is not the idea. This is one continuous letter, uh, and it's intended to be read in a worship setting. And if we did this, then we would devote pretty much the, the whole time toward just reading through it uh, on any one given Sunday with very little comment. Because as you've known the, for, through these two previous messages... Uh, I'm, I'm just doing a flyover. We're just sort of skimming the surface. We're, we're, we're doing the high approach and the look sort of from 30,000 feet down into these Alps, these, these mountaintops. We could uh, take what would be six weeks in this, one week per chapter, and, and we could get into a car, out of the plane, get into a car and drive it, and we could make it three months. Uh, we could get out of the car and we could hike the trails and climb the face of these mountains and the amazing truths that are being taught here and literally take it verse by verse and word by word and we could be in it for three years. Now, I know pastors who've done that. As a matter of fact, one of the amazing series that I'm reading by 
uh, Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was the pastor of Westminster Abbey uh, in England, in London, England, through the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, literally has written anywhere from a 300 to a 400-page book on every one of these individual chapters. And so the book that I skimmed this week called God's Unsearchable Riches in Christ was about 387 pages all devoted to everything that I'm going to give you in 21 verses here. So it's, it is incredibly concentrated, very powerful stuff, uh, very much kind of like Campbell's Soup. It comes in a concentrate and you have to add water. And so when you add water to it, it can feed the whole family. Okay, If you've tried to eat it without sort of thinning this stuff down, it can kind of be a little bit rich to the taste. Are you following me this morning? All right, so Paul starts and he says, for this reason, the reason that he's giving literally is what he had just stated in Ephesians chapter 2, and that is that God had accomplished, had reconciled the separation that had been between sinners and God. He'd done that in Jesus Christ. Not only had he accomplished reconciliation between sinners and himself, but he brought together two hostile parties, the Jews and the Gentiles. The Bible says he tore down the middle wall of partition. And everywhere he went, the Gentiles were thrilled. The ethnos, Greek word, all of the nations, the, the pagan heathen people heard the word of the gospel. The Holy Spirit brought conviction, moved among them, and the gospel had transformative effects and results in their lives. Now, the Gentiles had no problem with it. They were excited about it. But it was the Jewish people who still had an old covenant mindset that they were the only way that God was ever going to move and operate in a particular economy and that if you weren't a good Jew, that you shouldn't have the ability to become a good Christian. You ought to be a Jew first. And that gets argued in Acts chapter 15 in the Council of Jerusalem. And so as you read through the book of Acts, a couple of people are at the forefront, Peter the Apostle, and then it sort of falls into the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. After about chapter 15, 16, we see the emphasis moving to Antioch, and then Paul goes on his missionary journeys, and he visits Ephesus. When he writes this, he is in a Roman prison, and he writes all of what we call the, the, the prison epistles, and, and those are Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and the book of Philemon. Those are called the prison epistles. And so when Paul says, for this reason, he is in prison because the Jews are infuriated that Paul is preaching the gospel that Jesus Christ is now, the good news that God has become king in Jesus Christ. And he's been thrown into prison. He is a prisoner, but look at what Paul says. He doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of Rome. He doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of the Jews, but he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. On behalf of you Gentiles, the reason that he's there, he's literally in a place where a lot of folks who have a very triumphalistic faith-centered that is not grounded in the whole counsel of the Word of God start to think, well, why doesn't God get him out of that? Why doesn't Paul just confess some freedom-release scriptures and get himself out of prison? How many of you know sometimes God sets you down into a set of circumstances that you don't have any control over? And you just have to learn how to ride it out and how to have a right attitude in the middle of all the stuff that you're going through. No matter how, how many faith verses you confess at it and how many times you determine you're going to rebuke the bars and the shackles and the, and the two guards on both sides of you, he stayed in that condition for two years. 
And, and from this, I'd like to say to you that I believe that we need to take time and rediscover a biblical view of suffering. It is a word that we do not like to hear in America and especially in American evangelical Christianity with what we have today with, 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 with a little bit of a kind of an, uh, an out of balance health and wealth kind of gospel. And let me just back up a second and tell you that I believe Jesus heals and I also believe that he wants to prosper you. But a lot of what we hear in those out of balance versions many times gives us the idea that as a Christian I should never have any difficulty and nothing could be further from the truth. There are all kinds of suffering. I don't, I don't have time. This is, it's not a rabbit trail, but I have to give you a little bit of this so you can understand where I'm coming from. There, there are at least over a dozen kinds of suffering. I'm suffering this morning in what I call the Adamic suffering. I'm suffering because of the sin of Adam. There is the curse of sin and death. My body is aging. No matter how much, how many vitamins I take, how much I exercise, no matter all the things that I try to do, my body is getting older. I am 54 years old. I had to think a second because now I'm like going, okay, born in 60, where am I right now? Uh, and, and I don't get it because I'm still thinking like a late 20, early 30 something. I, I'm, you know, thank God my mind is sharp on most days, my wife says. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, but, but, but I just want to tell you that things, are, that things are just not the way they used to be. I, just, I don't get up quite as fast as I used to. And when I work really, really hard, I don't recover as quickly as I used to. And, and without taking too much time, there, there are all kinds of suffering. There is consequential suffering. The, the college student who doesn't show up to class and then wonders why he made an F at the end of the semester. The Bible says, uh, what you sow, you're going to reap. And so there's consequences to our actions, to our choices. There's consequential suffering. Uh, there is empathetic suffering, a parent for a child. How many of you are thankful that your mom didn't give up on you and that when you were crazy and acted like an idiot, that, that in the middle of that she suffered for you empathetically and with you and maybe stood before a judge at some point in time and said, Your Honor, if you'll give me a chance, I'll see to it that this doesn't happen again. And you know that mama's talking with some kind of authority. And she may have laid a cold washcloth on a fevered brow when you were a child and put her hand on top of it and prayed and said, God, put it on me if you have to, but heal my baby. And so there's empathetic suffering where we suffer with our children and nobody knows that kind of suffering the way mamas know that kind of suffering. And the Apostle Paul here, there's testimonial suffering and that's what Paul is doing. He's in prison for the Gentiles because the Jews are ticked off about it. He's in jail. Verse 13 says, so I ask you, and I want to jump ahead real quick because he picks up on this same idea again. He says, I ask you to not lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Don't get upset because I'm chained between these two guards because the kingdom of God goes on. The cause of Christ is not going to be stifled because the way I thought things ought to be happening in my life and ministry right now don't quite mess, measure up to my five-year plan. How many of you know God has a way to work all those things together according to His will and, and work all those things together for your good? Come on, somebody. And He's writing letters in verses chapter 3, verses 2 through 6. Let's grab all of those this time. Paul says, I have a secret. Everybody say, a secret. It's the Greek word musterion. It's the word mystery. It is a sacred secret. It's, it's not 
uh, some kind of strange, weird, esoteric idea, but it's basically something that you only know when you become part of the family. It's a family secret. It's, it's something that God shares with you. So the Apostle Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, Verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Number 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed. Everybody say, now been revealed. As it's now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. So in other words, your position in the kingdom of God has no longer anything to do with your natural birth, your first birth, but it has to do with your second birth, your birth in Christ. Galatians 3.29, the Bible says, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and the heirs according to the promise. Now dispensationalists try to rebuild the wall of partition that Christ tore down at the cross in terms of trying to say God is running two different, completely separate programs. And what the cross did, Jesus said no. He completely ended the hostility and the whole new filter, the whole new measurement, the whole new metron now, Greek word for measure, the measure in Christ now has to do for Jews and Gentiles. The same Lord overall is rich unto all that call upon him for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. The Bible says this over and over and over but a lot of these prophecy teachers evidently don't read that part of the Bible. This is what I want you to get this morning. The stewardship, oikonomia, we get our English word economy from it. The stewardship of God's grace has been given to me and this sacred secret, the mystery of Christ, Christ in and among you, not just Christ Jesus, the God-man, but now Christ is the many-membered body over which Jesus is the head. And Christ, I'm looking at Christ. Hello, Christ. There's a hand and there's a foot and there's an eye and there's an ear and there's a limb and there's a bone and, and there's a toe and there's a, a calf muscle and all of these things here together at this one little particular body, this would be like a single member of the larger body of Christ in this city. And, and we in this nation of America would be like one single member of the larger body of Christ all over the whole earth, the, the, the universal body of which Jesus is singularly the head. And because we belong to him, the promises that God made to Abraham are yours now. That he would make you a blessing and you would be a blessing. And literally through you, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And that is because you're connected to Christ. Go with me quickly. Second point, look at your neighbor and say, I'm all about that grace. About that grace. Some of you got that. That's for the younger folks. Of this gospel, I was made a minister. The gospel is the good news that God has become king in Jesus Christ right now. He says, of this gospel, I, am, I'm, I was made a minister. Now, first of all, he said, because of this gospel, I am a prisoner. But now he says, I am made a minister. 
a servant, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, there that is again, remember, you have a new identity in Christ. Everybody say, saint. Same, same, same Greek word as sanctified. You have been set apart. Now, that's fine. Sounds a little bit unusual. Maybe a little bit old church kind of style. And you, Maybe you think of it when you hear um, the saints are coming to town or the Kojic particular, the saints are in town when all the Church of God in Christ folks are in Memphis. And, and you don't typically usually think of yourself as a saint, but that's what God calls you. That's His identity for you. That's how you begin to need to think about yourself now that you are in Christ and you're no longer B.C. before Christ. Uh, the, the one who had the, the, the spirit of disobedience working in you who by nature you were a child of wrath. All of those things are past tense and have been taken care of because you once were dead but now you're alive. You once were blind but now you see. You once were a slave but now you're free. Come on somebody. So you're a saint of God. The Apostle Paul says... To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, everybody say grace, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I could take that phrase right there, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and preach for the last 20 minutes of this message. I wish I could do that. I don't have that luxury. He says, and to bring to light, verse 9, everyone, for everyone, what is the plan of of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now, I have a, a little a chart that I want to give you real quickly because typically in the, in the Bible Belt South, we have a real tendency to just pay attention to uh, this concept about the grace of God that relates to sin, sin consciousness. We've all heard this one. Read the one down the left side and you can fill in the blanks on your notes. Everybody say, God's riches at Christ's expense. That deals with everything that I didn't earn or deserve. Okay, what did we say in the beginning? Grace is God's kindness toward undeserving sinners, His unmerited favor, and His operational power. Okay, so this side that you see on the left is about his unmerited favor. He's pouring out God's riches at Christ's expense. Okay, uh, when you write that down in the acrostic, circle the word riches. Because Ephesians is all about spiritual wealth. It is about riches in Christ. We've just read the phrase, the unsearchable riches of Christ. So God gave to me God's riches at Christ's expense. The expense of Christ was him laying down his life, becoming a servant, literally dying on a cross of death, laying his life down, taking your sins with him into the grave, burying them, leaving them there when he got up in newness of life. And so because he was the substitutionary sacrifice for you, he was the scapegoat literally, the book of Leviticus, the sins of Israel was pronounced over them, over the scapegoat, and sent into the wilderness to die. And so all the sins of Israel died. Christ literally was the lamb. He was the sacrifice that took away the sins of the world. If you believe that, say amen. amen. All right, but now everybody gets that. And everybody in the Bible Belt South, every good Baptist understands that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. It's unmerited favor. If you ask somebody on the street, everybody's heard that side. But for whatever reason, we, we've never really gotten schooled in, in the other layer of understanding what grace is because grace is not just this big blanket that covers up all my mess. 
It's not just unmerited favor that covers me when I don't deserve it, but it's also operational power that deals with righteousness. Now, on the right side, after you fill that in, I want you to circle the word righteousness because the left side is your possessions, your riches. The right side is your position. You are now in right standing with God. Everybody say, I am righteous. Whether I believe it, say it, whether I believe it, whether I understand it, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, He who knew no sin, that's Jesus, was made to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him, in Christ. So in Christ, you have a whole new standing. You have a whole new position. Now, the first side... God is pardon, or grace is pardon, I'm sorry. Grace is pardon. But the second side, grace is power. Let's read it. God's righteousness and corresponding enablement. God's righteousness and corresponding enablement. So he not only gives me riches, possessions, acceptance, love, when I don't deserve it, I didn't work for it, I can't earn it, but he also gives me position, standing as a son and a daughter of the king of the universe. I have a new position. And because of that righteousness in Christ, that new position brings with it some equipment, some enabling, some empowerment. Everybody say power. Come on, say power. So the first side, God is pardon. The second side, God is power. Now in the South, we emphasize the pardon part, but we don't talk about the power. And so therefore, we've got a lot of saints who still think they're just old, low-down sinners, but saved by grace, though, that we'll throw that in. And so we start to think that we're just the same as the dude on the street, but just with another chance. And that's not what that means. Saint literally means you're a whole new kind of creation. Come on, somebody. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. Old things are passed away. I am born again. Hallelujah. God is, grace is pardon, grace is power. Uh, verse 9, God has no plan B. Say that with me. God has no plan B. Verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he, that has, he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So, God didn't say, well, this whole thing with Israel is not working, so I'll throw in plan B and we'll bring the church into being. That's the way these dispensationalists teach it. God's purpose from the beginning was to show us in the pattern of a natural nation everything that will be fulfilled in the real culmination of all of it, which was the spiritual nation. Are you following me? This, God doesn't have a plan B. His plan from the foundation of the world has been the eternal purpose that is now realized in Christ Jesus. That's the reason I laugh at all these predictions constantly about a rapture date that's been set and about a rebuilt temple and all that kind of stuff. They don't even realize the rebuilt temple that was torn down stone from stone was Herod's temple. That was already the third temple. 
that got torn down and the judgment of God came to it and God slammed a chapter shut and stopped the sacrificial system and it would literally be a, a spitting in the cross of Christ in the face of Jesus to start up a system that never did save anybody in the first place when only once and for all the blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing on the planet that ever has been able to or ever will be able to save anybody from their sins and to empower them to be who God has called them to be. Are you following me? I wish I had time to stop and talk about the purpose of God. It's the same word for showbread in the tabernacle, the bread of purpose, the bread of his presence. And I just can't get to it. This was according to, everybody say according to, this is something you're going to see all over this whole chapter. It literally means dictated by, governed by, or in relation to. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Next point this morning. God's purpose is family. We are family. I've got all my sisters with me or in me, whatever it is. Sister Sledge, way back a long time ago, I'm dating myself here. God's purpose is family for this reason. Now, Paul has sort of digressed for a few verses. He started it in verse 1, and then he sort of got hung off there in a moment talking about the stewardship of the grace and the plan of God and the mystery of the ages that's been hidden, but all of a sudden now it's been revealed to apostles and holy prophets all of this now has been brought to light, and that is the mystery of Christ, the sacred secret, the mysterion of Christ, this family secret that we now have that God intended from the foundation of the world to include all of the tribes of the whole earth. Are you hearing me? And he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom, verse 15, every family in heaven and on earth is named. God's purpose is family purpose. And it is only when we see together in male and female who the two have become one and they both share together as one the image of God. Because Adam and Eve together are image bearers. They, they, they bear the Imago Dei. They, they bear and share as representatives of, uh, of God in the earth. And it takes a man and a woman brought together, and then out of their love together, God begins to reproduce His image in the earth as representatives because God wants family. God's purpose is family. Hello, family of God. Sons and daughters. I've got I to move quickly. Uh, verse 16. This is the next point. I pray for your strength to understand the love of God. Now look at this. This is the second great prayer that Paul prays in this amazing book of Ephesians. The first prayer is in chapter 1. And in that prayer, he prayed for enlightenment. In this prayer, he's going to pray for enablement. It's one thing to see something. It's another thing to have the power to take hold of it. Come on. It's, it's one thing to be able to fill in uh, the, the, the quadratic equation and be able to solve uh, a formula in order to be able to build something properly. You do a little bit of algebra. Use your mathematics. Uh, it's one thing to do it on a test in class. It's something else to go buy the wood and the lumber and fi figure all of that out and then get out there and then make it work in your life. Are you hearing me? So Paul is praying not just for enlightenment so that you can sort of mouth the words of the principles uh, of the new covenant so that you can talk about love and joy and peace and, 
and faithfulness and all of the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit in your life. But he says, I don't just want you to be enlightened and understand it, but he said, I want you to be able to be empowered so that you can apprehend this, you can grab hold of it, you can take hold of it. Okay? Look at this. He says, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Verse 17, so that... In order that, for this purpose, in other words, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, look at this, that you being rooted and grounded in love, and there's so much here I wish I had time to talk about. word rooted literally is the Greek word rhizome. So it's from the plant world. Grounded is an architectural term. And so we've got so much riches just in these words here that you be rooted in growing something that is alive in the love of God and you be grounded in a foundation that has the strength for your life to be built on He says that you being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now Paul prays for enlightenment in chapter 1's prayer. He prays for enablement in chapter 3's. And he says right here, he says, I want you to be so strong in your inner being that with all the saints you'll have the ability to comprehend this amazing love of God. You'll be able to know what literally passes being able to be known. The love of God that passes knowledge. Let me just say this to you. I can understand a principle, but it's different when I walk it out in my life. As a single person, I studied and knew some marriage principles in the Bible. Man, I was real smart, but do you think I had any authority to be able to counsel married people? Everybody go, "Uh uh-uh, he didn't. It's always been humorous to me when single, uh, or not just, yeah, when singles think they know what the perfect marriage is because you hadn't lived it yet. Come on, help me preach a little bit this morning. And let's add another layer to it. It's even funnier when couples don't have any children yet and they're being critical of all the other parents that their kids are running around. It's just a hoot to me to to recall over the years the people that have complained about some other person's kid that was acting up in church and now they've got theirs and they're acting like idiots. How many of you know it's a totally different story to understand something? It's something different to experience it and be able to be able to walk it out. Paul says, I want you to know this love, not just know about it, but I want you to be able to grab hold of it. This is from the the Latin term prehender, and we say that monkeys have a prehensal tail from the word prehender, the word comprehend, the word apprehend. From this literally comes from the Latin prehender, and that's saying that a monkey has the ability with its tail to wrap around a branch and lay hold of the branch and hang on and hang and, and grab hold of it and make that branch his. That's an image I've given to you now in your head. And so what Paul is saying is, is I don't just want you to know a principle. I want you to apprehend it. I want you to lay hold of it. I want you to make it yours. In your life, that this love of God that absolutely cannot be described in the unsearchable riches of Christ, something that you're not just enlightened to, but you're enabled to walk in it and know what literally cannot be known. Natural man can't grasp it. They can't understand it. But he says, I want you to be able to grab these dimensions. And he's not just giving us the typical dimensions of space, of of length and breadth and height, but he throws in depth and we've got a four-dimension thing now and it's called the love of God. 
Love that calls us up higher. Love that calls us deeper into him. Come on, somebody. I, I love that, 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 that song that says, if love is an ocean, then we're all drowning. Because it's so deep. How deep, how high is the love of Christ? It's indescribable, it's unfathomable, it's unsearchable riches of Christ. Come on, somebody, help me preach a little bit in this place this morning. You would think it was the second service around here. Let me finish. I praise the one with the power. Verse 20 says, now to him who is able. Mm. I dare you to look at your neighbor and say, our God is able. Say, he is able. Come on, help me. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. There it is again, according to. According to the power that is at work within us. Listen to this according to phrase. Listen, when, when, when God gives you according to his riches... It's not giving you out of his riches. If I were a billionaire and I gave you $10, I would be giving something to you out of my wealth. But if I were a billionaire and I gave you $100 million, I would be giving you according to my wealth. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? So when God empowers you, it's not just giving you a little bit of a, of a jolt on a Sunday morning. Did you... Got a little bit of excitement. But it's, he's giving you according to his power that's already at work on the inside of you. The same power that raised up Jesus from the dead is on the inside of you this morning. I wish I had a church to preach to this morning. Come on. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to, governed by, dictated by, the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Finally this morning, Paul says, I praise the one who has the power. That power is at work in you. Listen, last point and I'm finished. All glory to God in the church forever. God's not running two programs. God has no plan B. God's not interested in the latest prediction or the ridiculous newspaper exegesis about the end times. He wants a people that no matter what happens can't be shaken because they are walking in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. He wants your feet on solid ground, not in the muck and mire of sin, but on a rock with a new song in your mouth that people hear it and they see it and they glorify God and they turn. Come on, somebody. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever, ion after ion, age after age. Every time you see an ever, it's the word age in the, in the New Testament Greek. Age after age after age. No matter what's happening, no matter what's going on, doesn't matter which party's holding the White House or who has the Supreme Court. It doesn't matter who's running Congress or who's filibustering doesn't matter what's happening on Wall Street or what happened to your stock portfolio or your 403B or your 401K. doesn't matter what the doctor told you the last time you went in and got a health report because he's on the throne and his glory is all, what all of this is about. And he has given you a power on the inside of you that's not going to quit until we see this thing fulfilled. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Now to him who is able to do. I love it.
God is able. These words are so rich and I just had to fly over. Didn't even have time to skim the surface. The, the word able and the word power in that passage are both dynamis, dynamite, dynamic. The power that works on the inside of you is the Greek word energeo. We get the English word energy from it. The, the, why you come in here and you feel the energy of the Spirit of God in the service is because it's the power of His presence moving and working and walking these aisles. It's grace that comes to the sinner. God's riches at Christ's expense. But it's grace that comes now to the saint. God's righteousness and corresponding enablement. It's grace that pardons the sinner. But it's grace that empowers the saints. All glory to Him be in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Doxa, Greek word glory, comes from the same word to think. You can't give glory to God until you get your head straight. There is no doxology that you can sing until you can begin to think what God wants you to think. First of all, about Him. And when you get your head straight on about who He is and how much He loves you, you can start to think properly about who you are. Are you hearing me? And that means that even when circumstances are not right, that means even when you're looking up from the bottom of a dungeon, from a cell of a prison, and you're writing to saints that you're so crazy and excited about, with a mother's love coming out of a male apostle's heart, the apostle Paul said in Galatians 4.19, My little children, I travail in birth until Christ be formed in you. Those are not masculine terms. But he's talking about the spirit of a mother hanging with, not giving up on, empathetically suffering for, standing alongside, praying, walking the floor. You don't know what it's like until you've had some children and, and, and you're concerned about them and, and you walk the floor and you cry and you pray. And I remember this morning as I closed this message, I didn't plan this, but this this image just flashed before me. Seeing my mama as a little boy, I would hear her in the bedroom and the door closed and she's crying out to God, literally weeping before the Lord. And I cracked the door open and she had every one of our pictures laid out on the bed and she'd get up and walk the floor and hold the picture and say, God, guard Mike. Keep him, Lord, in your purpose. Let him grow up and be a man of God and a man of destiny. And God, guard Dewey and Phyllis and Jim. And she'd cry out like a mother with a mother's love, crying out to God. And she stood in a place of intercession over my life and I'm so thankful today that I am who I am because of the grace of God that's been given to me and a mama who loved me. That's the free part, ladies. I don't know. I didn't even have that planned. But you do that. You live that. And that's a picture of the love of God. This morning, if any of this has spoken to you in the place where you are, if you're in a struggle, God pardons the riches of God are given to you because of what Jesus paid at Calvary. God's riches at Christ's expense. And if you're in a place where you need to make a fresh start and step across a line, let the past be the past. Turn from it. Take a fresh step into a new life. Then I want to tell you that's the thing that God's giving you. His unmerited favor. His kindness towards sinners. His unmerited favor. But it doesn't stop there. Because that sort of truncates and reduces. It's kind of a reductionist gospel if we only preach half of what grace is. 
And it sort of leaves the body, the saints, never knowing they're saints. And it leaves them in a place of a struggle constantly, that there's never any victory, there's never any enablement, never any power that is at work on the inside of us that can help us put struggles behind us completely in our past. I'm not preaching perfectionism. None of us have anything to worry about in that that regard. So don't think that. But I'm trying to preach to you the truth of what real grace is. It doesn't just cover us from the outside so that when God looks down, His judgment isn't on us. But it gets on the inside like something alive, like a plant, like a seed that you can get rooted and it's alive and it's growing and it's starting to expand you. Like a little tiny seed of a tree can get into a crack in a sidewalk. You've heard me tell the story. I walked home from Bragg School for six years to my little house at 300 South Center. And, and, and there was, a, there was a, a tree that started growing in the sidewalk. And by the time I was a sixth grader, it had moved that piece of concrete a whole foot. It started as a little bitty tiny string of a tree, a little sapling. But then it kept growing and it kept growing. And days turned into weeks, into months, it turned into years. And it moved a heavy piece of concrete that would probably take two or three men to pick up and move. A little tree, a little living thing. Because there was seed power on the inside of it. And what I'm trying to tell you is that that's what grace is. Grace doesn't just say, okay, you've got a free pass. You've got a get out of jail card. You've got fire insurance. This will keep you out of hell and give you a mansion in heaven. I believe heaven is real. I don't believe you don't even understand, even beginning to understand how amazing it's going to be. But if our focus is always on that, escaping the fire and getting a street of gold, we never understand that there's power right now for me. There's enablement. There's the strength of God. There's the dunamis. There's the, the inner gale. There's the energy of God working in me, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I get way overworked and my wife says, your hands are just like scaring me up there. So I'm going to put them behind my back. I don't know where you are in this mix this morning, but God knows exactly right where you are. And he knows what kind of side of grace you need served to you today. So with every head bowed and every high closed, Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this opportunity in this place because we know that you're all about that grace. Thank you that you show us that our past can be redeemed and covered and forgiven and our present can be transformed and our future can be certain. It can be sure with blessed assurance that because we are in Christ and we belong to him that the blessing of God is now on us.